Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Isn't that a great way? That's a great way to start the day, isn't it? Awesome. Good morning, sisterhood. Look at all your beautiful faces. Y'all are even here on spring break. That is amazing, because I know some families are traveling. And how many of y'all know people have been sick? Whatever all this is that's going around is awful. I don't even know. Okay, so how is everybody enjoying this series? I know it's been awesome, hasn't it? Um, I, I know a little bit about what Susan is speaking on today, and I think it's just going to blow your mind. You know, Nicole had referenced a little bit about how that it seems like every single week we've talked about the generations and we've talked about inheritance, but how many of you know, I mean, that's what women do, right? Yeah. Right? We yeah. carry life, you know, so the next generation comes along. I mean, that's who we are. We're life givers, life bringers, life carriers. And so it would just be fitting that all of these messages that we're beginning to see the life in all of the women of the world, right? All of us, not just the women in the Bible, but all of us. Okay, so I told you guys that we're going to launch our sisterhood book clubs for the summer. I also told you we are doing John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan, but I was wrong. So we're not doing that. We're actually doing a book by Rick Warren called Created to Dream. And it's exactly for a six-week study. And the whole church, you know, I told you we're all going through it together. So the Sisterhood Book Clubs will be going right along with the rest of the church life groups. But I'm going to pass this around. Now, this is going to be the last week because we got we got a lot of uh, group leaders last week. We got 10 from Sisterhood. And that's, that's good. That's really good, y'all. It's really good. And, um, and I know some of you, you know, wanted to walk away and pray about it. But I want to, you know, let you know that you're not just going to be thrown into the deep end. Some of you may say, um, you know, I have never led a small group and I'm not comfortable with that. Well, that may be that, you know, you need somebody, you want somebody alongside you. So a couple of you lead. That does a couple of things for you. If one of you can't be there, I mean, I know Jackie's going to be leading one and she's going to be leading one with someone, but she has a couple of trials, right, this summer. That, so she may not be able to be there every week. So it's like she's going to be busy some. So she, if she has another person with her, that way they can both, you know, they can tag, tap in and tap out, right, and help each other. You can do small group shawl anywhere. Yeah. Ask Patty Trockelman. You can meet at the park. You can meet at a coffee shop. You can meet for Saturday morning breakfast or brunch. You can grab dinner, tonight, uh, not tonight, but a night together. You know, you don't have to do it every week. You can do it every other week. We're going to ask this summer that we try to stick to the six weeks because that's what the whole church is doing. But you don't have to just be in a house if you don't want to do that. And I realize some of you are like, I'm not comfortable opening up my home. Well, you might want to say, then we're going to meet at the park. You know, we're going to walk a mile before we do it, and then we're going to talk about our book. So it just, you can be so creative with it, and you can just get together all different kinds. I have been in small groups all at the beach. I mean, literally, I've been to small groups everywhere. 
I mean, we go sit with Whip and Susan down at the beach sometimes and just stare at it. We all four. By Sunday night, y'all, we're so tired. Tim and I are so tired by... And I'm so glad Whip and Susan don't ever care if we just can't even hardly talk. By Sunday night, we just sit there and stare at the ocean. We're just like... That's all I want to do is just look at the, right, hear the waves, just look at the ocean. That's all I want to do. So I'm going to pass this around. This is the last week because what I'm going to do is I'm then going to start meeting closely with the small group leaders. Uh, that's going to be who I'm going to be working with this summer, uh, our team too. We're going to be kind of leaning in and out with all the small group. And I am going to go to all the small groups. Uh, I will make that um, promise to you right now. I'm going to get around to all of them. And so I'm going to send this around to you. And if you want to put, if you'll put your name and um, if you know that I don't have, like I have Tammy's contact information, but if I don't have your contact information, put your email address and your phone number on here. I promise I won't blow anything up, but just wanted to, just want to say that. I promise. I'm not going to send you an email every day. Okay. Because how many of you know that's a lot? And we have a whole nother group of people that come at night. That do that, y'all know that, right? On Tuesday nights, whole other room full of people is here again. So it's a lot of people to try to keep up with. But tonight, today, you have a um, you have a real treat in store for you today with Susan. So you can come on up. I'm gonna pray for you. How many of you know Susan? Yes, I know. She's been my BF now for probably over 10 years, almost 15 years, and um, has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, knows, knows all the things, and um, she's whip smart, an attorney, um, not practicing anymore, but, but very, very smart, and I don't know if you all remember me telling this story, I think I told it on the podcast too, about a few years ago, Susan and Whip lost their entire home to mold. And she really was just racked in her body with mold poisoning. And to see what God has done and how he has healed her, how he has brought her kind of in a full circle, beautiful, the way he restores. How many of you know he is the kindest one we know? And so he always restores actually better than, than what we were to beforehand. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to see. So um, I know her and I know her life in Jesus. And it is a real thing, and it is a very um, genuine faith, and you will, you will get that today when you hear the, um, the anointing on her. And I just, I really today, I feel like um, every week as we've come in, we have learned something. I have learned something every single week that I did not know before. I feel like today as she opens the scripture, um, we're all going to get to partake from the table something that we have never had before. So are y'all ready for that? Yes. Me too. So Lord, I thank you for my precious friend. I thank you, Lord, that um, the gift of God is just massive in her life. And I thank you, Lord, for her willingness um, not to just be a scribe and write all the time, but Lord, then that she's willing to pour out of what it is that you put inside of her. And I thank you, Lord, personally. I thank you for how that blesses my life. And I thank you today, Lord, for this house and for these women and for this ministry that you're going to bless through her words. So we ask for your anointing to be here today, that it would break off any yoke off of any of our lives as we open your word today, Lord. Let us, let us just grow. Let us get fresh revelation today, Lord. Let us walk out better than we came in. And we bless you today, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the kindest one we know. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you.
Oh, good morning, all. Good morning. Um, first of all, Harriet, thank you. Thank you for making this happen. Um, <laughs> Harriet asked me, um, end of February, would I teach? And before I could blurt no, which I really <laughs> intended to say no, because <laughs> I did not feel ready to do this after the past few years. But instead, I said I would go home and I would let her know. And I went home and I really felt like God downloaded this message to me at the end of February for y'all. And um, I tell you what, it has wrecked me, this, this series, because none of us, I mean, I'm not even on the sisterhood team. I'm not even on these meetings of what they talk about. All I knew was Harriet actually told me it was going to be named something else. I did. Yeah. And to pick a lesser known woman of the Bible. I had no idea who's teaching what. And so each week, y'all have probably seen me crying like a baby, and it's good cries because I have really felt like God has, um, like, not just shown me his heart, but shown me his heart for us as women. You know, and um, just the call that he has for us is truly matchless. And, you know, Michelle spoke um, two weeks ago about God's uh, restoration of the voice of women and the design of women. And I'm telling you what, if y'all have not heard that on podcast, you need to, because one tidbit of that was the worth the cost of admission, much less the whole thing. And so just really he, I felt like she downloaded to us um, the restoration of who God designed us to be and how Jesus came to restore all of it. And then last week, Gina gave us this call to action that was so powerful because, I mean, if we're not going to stand on the wall for the next generation, what are we going to do? I mean, we're going to lose the farm if we don't do it. And we as women, that is our call. It's who we are. We are stewards for the next generation. And um a month, well, whatever, six weeks ago, God's speaking the same thing to us here in what we're going to talk about today. And so Harriet opened us all up with that week of Proverbs 31 woman and about how God gives strategy and asks for stewardship. And I feel like he's doing the same thing even today. So what a cohesive series this is. It is just so beautiful to behold. Um, So today, what I'm going to do is I bent the rules a little bit, but not really because Gina did too. Harriet said to to pick a lesser known woman, and I picked two. (laughs) But I feel like it's okay because the pastorist did the same thing. And, uh, And both of my women actually have the same name. They are just one in Hebrew and one in Greek. So today we're going to talk about Hannah from the Old Testament and Anna from the New Testament. I thought about throwing in a third because my favorite is Susanna. Harriet always calls me that. And all we know in Luke 8 is she ministered to Jesus and she was healed. And I thought, I could preach on that all day long, but you're not getting her today. Okay, so let's turn today. um, For those of you, we're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so we're at a time in history that Israel has, you know, obviously been um, taken out of Egypt through Moses and the Exodus. Joshua has come. He's ushered them into the promised land. And we've gone through a series of having judges lead Israel. You know, we've got the famous ones like Gideon or Deborah, the female judge and prophetess. Wasn't that amazing? And even Samson. But we come to the end of Judges. Um, and then there's the little book of Ruth, which is kind of at the same time. But 1 Samuel picks up where, the end, where Judges ends, um, and, we'll, and we'll see all that today. So we're going to only look at chapter 1 
of 1 Samuel, even though I encourage you to go back and read about Samuel's life, but particularly the first three chapters of 1 Samuel. Um, Okay, I'm going to read fast. We have a lot of ground to cover today, y'all, so I'm going to talk fast. And my prayer today, actually, is that this lesson is not taught. If you want to put your books down, you know there's podcasts. Uh, I would even share my notes with anybody who wants some. I want you to catch this message because this is where God is breathing on us today and at this moment in history, his story. He wants us all in here. So anyway, we're going to talk fast. All right, the birth of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1. And I have my small print Bible. That was not smart. There was a certain man of, and I'm just going to call it Ramah, because that's another way it's used. I'm not going to pronounce all that. Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of blah, blah, blah. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Or no, I'm sorry, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So she's barren. Now, this man used to go up year by year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously. So Penina used to just mock her, provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget me, but will give to me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, the priest Caesar. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli the priest took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being a drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman despairing in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman Hannah went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Do you see that? She received the blessing, and she, she took it. She appropriated it for herself. They rose early in the morning. That's Elkanah and Hannah, the husband and wife, and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. 
The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Now, I don't know if that was three years old or eight. I've read both things. I'm, I doubt it's eight, so, but it's not baby. It's a toddler, at least. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him, I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And Samuel worshiped the Lord there. All right. Before we go to the next one, I just want to tell y'all how much I love the Word of God. And I don't want you just to love Hannah and Anna at the end of this. I want you to start to love the Word of God. So we're going to play a little name game because it's real fun. Hannah means the same as Anna. It means full of grace, grace and favor. I have a daughter named Anna, and I love that. And Anna, um, so she means grace. Her husband, Elkanah, means God has purchased so when we have the union of grace and God has purchased, brings forth here Samuel, God has heard. I want to tell you that Samuel is also a prophetic picture of Jesus. Everything in this book points to Jesus. That's the best, well, where's Waldo in the world? Read the word, find where he is, and even in the Old Testament. Because in, in the spiritual, we have grace partnering with God himself, purchasing, and who do we get? Yeshua salvation. God has heard and God has saved. And that's his word still to us today. I also love that in this passage, we have Hannah and Elkanah. They live in Ramah and they go to petition to the Lord of hosts. That's the first mention of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts in the Old Testament. That is the mighty warrior name for God. He's the God of the angel armies. And they go to petition him for a son, and they go to the temple, or the tabernacles there at Shiloh, which means rest. So don't you love that? In Hebrews, we're told to labor to enter into his rest. So that's what we have now. We get to go and ask, make our request of the God of the angel armies from a place of rest. That's a picture prophetically of them. All right, next passage, we're going to look at Anna, and then we're going to um, talk about some similarities between their lives, and then I want to lay over the prophetic lens that I believe God has really been speaking to us about for, for today. All right, Anna's short. She only gets three verses in all of Scripture. She is in Luke 2, verses 36 to, th no, yes, 36 to 38. Um, all right, we are at the moment now where Jesus is born, and Joseph and Mary are bringing him to the temple to present him. Eight days old, the Jewish custom and law was to present your child in the temple with a sacrifice that was according to your means. So they um, were 
poor in means, as you can tell by just having the turtle doves and pigeons sacrificed, but they bring the Lord in. They're met by an old man named Simeon who prophesies that he is the Christ, and they're met here by Anna. So here's what we know about Anna from Scripture. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, the actually, um, the Greek and Aramaic text say that she lived as a widow for 84 years, which would put her around 106 years old. Regardless, she's advanced. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, so those are our two women. Let's turn and look at some of the similarities. I'm going to highlight seven similarities between these women quickly. First, both of them arrive on the scene when God has basically been silent for a long time. In the first uh, Samuel with Hannah, it says in chapter uh, 3 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Um, we also see at the last verse of Judges, the time we are in history, that it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. So we see that the Lord was silent, not only in not really speaking, but also not bringing justice against the evil. Can we relate to that today? Do we not feel like that is timely? Okay, similarly, at the time of Anna, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, last recorded scripture, and the New Testament when Jesus and John the Baptist are born. 400 years. They let the Jews live under oppression from Rome. They are basically in bondage. Things are shambles, and God is silent. Don't you know they're like, where are you, God? Where are you for us? Do we sometimes feel like that today as well? Not only that, second similarity. God's silent, but also the religious systems that are in place for them are a shambles. They are corrupt. They are completely out of touch with the heart of God. We see that in what we read about Hannah's life, right? We've got Eli the priest. Well, he's so spiritually obtuse, he thinks the desperately praying woman is a drunkard. I mean, we could just stop there. But then you go on to read about his sons in the next few chapters, Eli and, I'm sorry, Hophni and Phinehas. And the word says they were worthless men who did not know the Lord, that they treated the sacrifices of God with contempt. They would take the best portions for themselves, not even have the meat cooked correctly according to the law, but they would take it for themselves. And they slept, had sex with the women who were sent to serve at the tent of meeting. These were his sons. And Eli did nothing about it. He knew about it, but he did not discipline them. Talk about a shambles, a hot mess. All right. Then we fast forward to Anna's time the money changers in the temple. We know what Jesus did with them the last week of his life, right? He went in there and upturned the tables and said, you treat the sacrificial system like a mockery. You charge a, a exorbitant price 
for a sacrifice because the people come. The uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the time. Jesus, of course, has nothing great to say there either. He calls them a brood of vipers. He says, you know all the scriptures, but you don't even know that they point to me. You do not know me. You have no idea who I am. They were celebrity sort of culture. They were the big guy. You know, as my son likes to quote King Curtis, we're the queen and you are the sorry people. That was the Pharisees and Sadducees. But celebrity culture and religion right now, do we, can we relate to that? <clears throat> the stench of it. Third similarity. Both Hannah and Anna operated in the prophetic. So we see Hannah first. She brings birth to Samuel. Samuel becomes one of Israel's greatest prophets. He's actually prophet, priest, because he comes from the priestly line. And scripture says he judged Israel all his days. So he's prophet, priest, and judge. Prophetic picture of Jesus. He's the word who speaks only what he hears his father say. He's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he is judge who will come again to judge. And we will all stand before him. But not only did Hannah birth a great prophet, she's prophetic herself. When you read um, in her second chapter, after she hands uh, Samuel over to you know, rededicate his life and give him to the temple for service, this magnificent song of praise comes out from her. It is so beautiful. And the last verse of it says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She spoke all this and sang this song before Israel even had a king. There was no king in Israel by this point. It wasn't until after that Israel starts to cry out for a king. So she's prophesying not only of Israel's greatest king, David, to come through the hand of her son Samuel who anoints him, but also prophesies of Jesus and the anointed Messiah to come. Anna, in the New Testament, she's called a prophetess. We read that. You know, there's only two times in Scripture that that Greek word is used. It's about her, and it's in Revelation of the woman who calls herself Jezebel in the church, later at times church. So this is the true prophetic, Anna, that operates. She um, was recognized as a prophetess, and she clearly operates in that anointing because Jesus is brought as an infant. She sees him. And she gets to, pre to, to prophesy that here is the Redeemer. Here's the Redeemer of Israel. He's the, he is the long-awaited Messiah. Oh, and I forgot to tell you this fun one. Do you know she comes from the, uh, her father's name was Phanuel, which means the face of God? Don't you love that the daughter of the face of God gets to see the face of God wow. in the flesh and let the world know he is here? I love that. Okay, I want to tell you that y'all, each one of you is prophetic too. Those of us who have uh, asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Prophetic just means you get to hear God's voice. My sheep know my voice and hear me, Jesus says. Now, are there different measures of prophetic? Sure, we're not all in the office of prophet, but each one of us are given the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth, it, the Holy Spirit, says He will guide us into all truth. He will bring to recollection everything we have been taught. 
It's part of our inheritance, the prophetic. Now, as you steward and cultivate being still, listening for the voice of God, that will grow in your life. But I can tell you now, you operate in the prophetic, and will you um, choose to cultivate that? The world needs us. The world needs us to speak his words. Fourth similarity. Both women's names mean grace and favor, but their situations hardly seemed it, did it? We have Hannah. She's barren. You know, barren women were scorned by their culture back then. I mean, they didn't even really want to go out in public and be seen because they were just mocked, ridiculed. They, they, it looked, they looked upon barrenness more or less like a curse. They were devalued. They were shamed. Anna, she's 84 or 106 years old. We don't know which. But she's a widow. And widows in that culture, they had to take care of them. So a lot of society viewed them as a burden. There, she lived at the temple. Whether she actually was given a chamber there or just spent all her time there, we don't know. But the, I, my presumption from that is that she was childless. She did not live with her children and their families. So we've got an older widow who's childless. Don't you know they both felt past their prime? Yeah. Dried up? Yeah. Yeah. Passed over? Yeah. Of little no, to no value? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For both of them, the longings of their heart had not been fulfilled. Mm. Hannah didn't have her son. Mm. Anna had not seen the Redeemer. She'd been praying for for 84 years. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to those feelings? Mm -hmm. Pushed aside, maybe heart sick because of hope deferred, Mm -hmm. feeling like you've missed your opportunity. I know I can. I know there have been seasons of long seasons of that, Mm -hmm. but it's not true. All right, fifth similarity. And y'all, I want to tell you, I felt like God sat down on this one and he just kept sitting. Both women had great opportunities to live in offense, but they pushed past the offense to keep pressing into God. That is a now word for us today. Both women had great opportunities to live in offense but they pushed past that offense to keep pressing into God. Mm. I, I actually thought, when, wow, last week when you said we're doing bait of Satan, <laughs> so go do it on your own if you need it, because it's really, really good. It's all about offense, being the bait and snare of Satan in our lives. Okay, Hannah, let's look back at her, First Samuel. She had opportunities to be offended by ba- basically everybody. Okay, the, the other wife, Panina, who's mocking her for being barren. By society and how they treat barren women. She has the opportunity for offense from her husband. I'm sorry, but can we just all let that sit there a minute? Am I not more, worth more to you than to Am I not good enough for you? I mean, talk about feeling like your, your own heart is dismissed. How alone she must have felt in that marriage, in this issue. She had so much opportunity to just stay bitter and offended with him. Eli, the priest, who's supposed to be the one there ministering to her and representing her before the Lord. He thinks she's a drunk. Mm. And God. Opportunity to be offended at God. Here I have cried out to you year after year after year. How long, Lord? 
I'm not just asking for a child. Give me a son. She is crying out for legacy, for heritage. Mm, she wants she wants that next generation to carry forth what she has to give. Anna, likewise, so much opportunity to be offended at God. She was married young as a virgin, I think around 13 to 15 in that time. Married only seven years when he died. No children. Widow for all these years for society to take care of. So much opportunity for offense there. But did either one of them take that? Did they nurse it in their hearts and hold the grudge? And, you know, like the, the widow and um, the story of the book of Ruth, Naomi, the widow. Well, she becomes so dang bitter. She asked everyone to call her Mara. Rename me bitter is what she says. Can, can you imagine how much fun that was for Ruth? Good times with that mother-in-law right there. You know, Rachel, who was Jacob's wife that was barren, she grabbed Jacob and said, you give me children or I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. And then she manipulated to go get the handmaiden to go in and have his children. Neither Hannah nor Anna did any of that. No manipulation, no bitterness, no um, hard-heartedness. Instead, they went heavenward. They fixed their eyes on the Lord. He was their source. They knew he was the only source for what they needed. And they resolved to be unoffended. And their prayers were heard. They just kept fasting, praying, resolving. And so I feel like really a huge word that the Lord is asking all of us today, me included, will we resolve to live unoffended? Will we draw a line in the sand today and say, it is a new day. I am not going to repeat those patterns anymore. If there's an area where bitterness or offense has taken root in your heart, ask him to show it to you. Is it about other people who've hurt you in the past? Is it, it can be there from hope deferred and making the heart sick. Is there offense or bitterness there from that or even directed at God? for what seems like unanswered prayers. Get real with him. Get honest. Ask him to heal those places, and he will, because the world needs us to be free of this, to be pure in heart, so, he, so our prayers aren't hindered. Sixth similarity, both women exhibited hearts of desperation. Their prayers were birthed from urgency, just like what Gina was sharing with us last week. They knew the moment they were in, and their time was short, and they needed to be heard. Yes. They got serious with God. Yes. They fasted, they prayed, year after year, over and over, day after day, persistent, persistent, persistent. Hannah's crying out, give me a son. Anna's crying out, give us your son. Yes. We need to be heard. I've heard it said that Hannah's cry for, for a son met with God's heart and need for a prophet to be brought into the earth. Anna's cry for the Redeemer met with what Galatians 4.4 4 says, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the earth. Her cry met God's heart for a fullness of time moment. And I want to suggest to you that there is a new fullness of time moment we are in right now. That uh, our cry of needs to get desperate to meet God's desperate heart for right now. Will we be those people who will do that? 
Seventh similarity, both Hannah and Anna were integral to the ushering in and establishment of kingdoms. Kingdoms we're talking about here. 1 Corinthians 15, 46 gives us a spiritual principle. It says, first in the natural, then in the spiritual. I want you to keep that in mind as we move for, for through the rest of this lesson. First in the natural, then in the spiritual. We see this with Hannah and Anna. Hannah gives birth to Samuel in the flesh, prophet, priest, and judge. The job of prophets back then were to anoint kings. They would take their flask of oil and even before the coronation, I mean like God sent Samuel actually to anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and Israel's greatest king, David. And he anointed David years before David took the throne. Right. But it's a mark of God sees you, God recognizes you, he calls you forth. Their job is to anoint kings. Israel's kingdom era was ushered in by Saul through his anointing. And Saul was ushered in by Hannah. She brought in the kingdom era in the natural. Same way in the spiritual. When Jesus came on the scene as a baby, <laughs> you talk about a new real kingdom era coming. We've got the spiritual kingdom. Remember Jesus' first words, repent for the kingdom is at hand. My kingdom that's not of this earth, that's of the, of the heavens, has been ushered into the earth. And Anna's anointing of her words saying, here is the Redeemer, here is your Christ, here is your longed-for Messiah, she anoints Jesus and ushers in that spiritual kingdom. First in the natural, we have Hannah, grace, ushering in the kingdom. Then in the spiritual, grace ushers in the kingdom. So those are our similarities, y'all. Now I want to lay over the prophetic lens. Yep, talking fast. Why Hannah and Anna are pictures of God's invitation to us today. I believe that God is ready to usher in a new and final kingdom movement in the earth. Now. Just like Hannah and Anna appeared on the scene for that kingdom shift and they helped pray them in, we are at that pregnant moment in history right now. Y'all can feel that, can't you? I mean, it is like the veil is so thin between heaven and earth right now. We, okay, I find it actually no coincidence. This, this y'all, I love. Um, I have a daughter, Anna. Did y'all know that one of the top names for girls in Gen Z is Anna? It's true. It's in the top five. My own daughter was one of four Annas in her small elementary class at Myrtle Grove Christian School. First in the natural, then in the spiritual. We got a lot of Annas in the earth right now. We need a lot of spiritual Annas to usher in the kingdom also. God is on the move. So will we as women help birth this kingdom invasion here on earth through our prayers and our hunger for it? Are we desperate for it? Will we partner with God for it? So I want to talk quickly about this end time revival and kingdom invasion. Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covered the earth. This is talking about an end times revival before Jesus comes again. And he's coming. Didn't, and speaking of Jesus coming again, did you know that Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, um, where she prophesies at the king who will come to judge? Um, in the Jewish festival year, Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. It's a fall festival, usually around September-ish. 
The fall festival of Feast of Trumpets actually prophetically speaks of Jesus' second coming because it says in 1 Thessalonians, he'll come with the clouds at the sound of the shofar trumpet. So this whole Feast of Trumpets points to Jesus coming again. Did you know that at every Feast of Trumpets, they read that song of Hannah? 1 Samuel 2 is read every year. She is still prophesying of Jesus coming. It's amazing. Bob Jones prophesied in 1983 about a billion soul harvest, especially involving youth that would begin the end times harvest. The billion souls would begin the harvest. And there are three markers that we can look to to know when this has begun. First, abortion would be made perfect by a pill. Here we go. It was approved in 2000. It's available over the counter, mail order. And here's a prayer point for you. Just this past week, two states have disagreed in their rulings about the um, FDA approval process and the whether the, uh, the legality of this abortion pill. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. There's a prayer point for you. Second marker, we could know that the billion soul harvest has begun. Homosexual marriage would be legalized and openly promoted in the USA. That one probably really needs no further comment. But just in December, four months ago, the Respect for Marriage Act was passed into law, which requires every state and federal territory to recognize homosexual marriage as valid and to give it the same benefits as heterosexual marriage. That was four months ago. Last marker. Workers in the rice fields in Asia would be watching 24-7 worship and prayer on unplugged television sets on their wrists. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, y'all, I mean, 24-7 prayer wasn't even happening really in 83, other than maybe on Prayer Mountain in Seoul, Korea. Not until 1999 did the whole 24-7 prayer movement start, really, forerunner being IHOP in Kansas City. And the Apple Watch didn't even come out till 2015. So we are in the billion soul harvest time. I tell you this to say, let faith arise. It is time, y'all. God is crying out, I want my kids. Who will partner with me to bring my kids to me? We've got to take this seriously. It is so critical that we women feel God's heart on the matter because we are integral to revival. When you look at revivals, so many of them were preceded by praying women. I want to mention three quickly, just the Hebrides revival in the west coast of Scotland, where over 90% of the islands were flooded with revival. I mean, social reformation. That all began when two women, ages 82 and 84, started praying. They couldn't even get to church. Peggy and Christine Smith were their names. Peggy was blind. Christine was bent over arthritic. They couldn't even leave their house. They were spinsters, as far as I can tell. They shared the same last name and lived together in a cottage. You talk about some opportunities for offense. My health is a shambles. I can't even get to church. No man ever wanted me. You didn't hear my cry to not be single. And yet, no. Did they live in that? No, they believed that God was a covenant-keeping God. Their society needed God to move in the midst, and they pulled that down from heaven and earth, and they ushered in that revival, swept that area through their 82- and 84-year-old women prayers. 
Okay, we've, we've heard of the Azusa Street Revival, right? West Coast. And we've all heard of William Seymour, the one-eyed African-American man who kind of ushered in that revival. Well, I want to tell you there was a woman behind him. Lucy Farrow was her name, age 55. She was born into slavery. William Seymour's down there preaching about baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues when he hadn't even received that, but he was preaching it in faith because he knew it to be true. It was not until Lucy Pharaoh came, laid hands on him and a host of others, and the Holy Spirit fell, baptized in, in, with the gift of tongues, and Azusa Street spread like wildfire. She was behind all that. Talk about offense, opportunity, raised in slavery. Did she stand back and refuse to pray for any? people of different races, creeds, or colors. No, she prayed for them all. The Holy Spirit fell on all. And one more, the Asbury Revival of 1970. You know, we just had that well retapped in February. Wow, I think we hadn't even begun to see the outpouring yet of that. But back in 1970, which was a several-week outpouring of the Holy Spirit and sent uh, you know, workers into the fields with lots of reformation in lots of countries. That was all preceded by one woman, Janine Braben, who met in a room downstairs, started a prayer group asking the Lord to pour out His Spirit. I bet none of us really have heard of Janine Braben, the Smith sisters, Lucy Farrow, but God knows them. And He heard their heart, and He met their heart with His release. And that's what he's asking us to do today. In the natural, women are birthers. From a place of intimacy, we receive his seed. We nurture and carry that until a fullness of time, and then we bring it to, to, bring it to birth in the earth. Same thing in the spiritual, y'all. We are integral to revival. God designed us to be birthers. And I loved when Michelle was teaching. We learned about how the voice Women's voice was stolen in the garden and God restored it. You know, think about the curse. It really affected two things. It affected women's voice and their birth, childbirth, pain and childbirth, right? The sacred design of women for birthing and our prophetic utterance. We got to get back to that. It's sacred. It's powerful. It's who he designed us to be and it's all been restored Will we women here accept God's invitation to help usher in a movement of his glory into the earth? I don't want any of us here who don't have children or past you know, menopause, any of that to feel like you just don't check out because it's all, every one of us are integral. Remember, Hannah was in the flesh, but Anna had an even greater birthing in the spiritual of Jesus, King Jesus. And you know, I, I was um, going to talk today too about just the generational piece, that our God is so generational. And I love that my mom is here this today too, generational. Um, and the spiritual heritage there, I'm so thankful for. But our God is generational. Every generation matters. You know, we talk about how, and we're taught how John the Baptist is the first to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He calls out Jesus first. Well, no, he does not. Actually, the first ones to behold the news of Jesus are the shepherds. From, they're all ages, those shepherds. Next, we have Elizabeth. She's the one who receives Mary and gets to say, My Lord, you, know, you are so favored, you're carrying the, the Christ, my Lord. And you know, we don't ever in the scripture know what Mary's parents or Joseph's parents thought 
about what happened. How beautiful of God to give a mother figure, the generation of a mother figure through Elizabeth. And then we get grandparents with Simeon and Anna, right? So he's a generational God. All right, for those of us willing to accept his call to help be an Anna and a Hannah of this day, I believe he's charging us to resolve to do five things. And these are super fast. Because truly, revival begins with me. It begins with you. It begins individually, right? Repentance always precedes revival. Personal revival is, is the hub. And then the house of God and the people of God are revived before the rest of the earth. It's like, it's like the ripple. We have to become unoffendable. He needs people of pure heart to see him and pure speech to release his heart and his word authentically and accurately. Proverbs 18.21, that says our, our tongues hold the power of life or death. We must speak life. We must call forth life. It's part of our sacred design as women. We have to operate in that. James 3.10 speaks about how the tongue seemingly can both bless and curse, and this must not be so. We have to get pure in speech, y'all. We have to get serious about the respectable sins of gossip, slander, backbiting, the poison tongue. Our, our, Our tongues must be pure. These things are critical because the world's depending on it. Second, we've got to become like a dog with a bone. Be tenacious, persistent in our prayers. Refuse to give up. Refuse to get hope deferred heart sick. But to really lean in and hold up that picture of Hannah and Anna who just developed that spirit of endurance. They were relentless in their pursuit. Refuse to compromise with, well, aren't I as good as ten sons? No, because God's put in my heart a desire for a son and a legacy. Stand on his promises. Become God-assured rather than self-assured. And that verse of Hebrews 6.12 speaks about be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I'm not a real patient person. I'm working on it. But we got to get there. Third, in the waiting, we must allow God to shape our hearts and to grow us. We wait in hope and in surrender. Not like just waiting, thinking. <laughs> but, you know, and, or waiting and screaming. Ah, I need you. You know, when you're screaming, you can't hear when somebody's talking to you. But ask the Lord to still ourselves, to get quiet before him. Stop the clamoring that we can really feel his heart. And a beautiful thing happens in that waiting. He will show us who he is. He molds our hearts and our expectation of him. In that chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah's song of praise, there are things she calls out about the nature of God that have never been recorded in Scripture. He gave her a revelation of himself that was new. It was just for her, and he'll do that for us too. We have got to worship him. Want the giver, not just the gift. We have to become okay with seeming undignified and being misunderstood. 
You know, Hannah, they thought, was just drunk because she was so desperate in her prayers. We have to be okay with that. The world's not going to understand the heart cry for revival because it's linked to God's heart for his kids. We need to catch that fiery heart of God. He is longing for his sons and daughters. Jesus, he sent his own son to pay the price for us. He's longing for them to come home. And he's also longing to come back and get his bride. He's not going to come until this harvest. We've got to partner with him so he can release on the earth what he wants to release. But it comes through us calling that forth. That's the way he's always operated in history. I'm not saying to be weird. I am saying to get alone with God. Ask him what his heart is. Ask him to show that to you. He's done it even in this series. I know we all feel it. We feel that heart of God for us as women. And ask him to mantle us afresh for intercession. You know, there's actually an assignment of prayer that's termed travailing prayer. Travailing is tied to birthing. It's where we birth something in prayer. It's weighty. You know, I was talking to Harriet recently about that. I had a season, I'm like, I don't even know if this is travailing prayer or spirit of heaviness. I don't even know because it felt so heavy. But what we do know is despair, desperation can be beautiful when it's anchored in hope and in the promises of God, right? Psalm 27 says, I would have despaired if I had not believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's a crying out, not just a plain old crying. You know, it's anchored and rooted in God's promises, God's hope, but it may feel weighty and it may be hard for a season. Are we willing to travail? We need to be. And we must posture our hearts to receive and release what God wants to gift to us and through us. Hannah trusted God enough to keep her promise, release Samuel back to him like she had promised. And I'm telling you what, that woman had every reason in the book not to, didn't she? I mean, she's like, God, really? To those, to him, to Eli, and to his sons. My son's going to learn all the bad things. He's going to learn how not to follow you, God. I know you more than Eli does. But did she do any of that? No. She trusted God. She said, God, I made this promise to you. You bless me. I give it back to you. Jonathan Heltzer tells us that worship is releasing to God, giving back to God what he first gives to us. This is what Hannah does. I made this promise. And not only did she release to God, she didn't release with a clenched fist and still hanging on. They brought the most extravagant sacrifice when they brought Samuel to dedicate him. A whole bull... A big ephah of flour and a skin of wine. Those are extravagant sacrifices. They held nothing back. And then what comes forth? Her song of worship. And it tells us that Samuel worshiped there too. So worship was her lifestyle and he knew it. He had learned it. We see later that he's sleeping in the tent of meeting by the Ark of the Covenant when Eli's gone off to bed. He just, he lives to worship there. So I can only just think about that breaking mama heart, you know. We see her worship, but don't you know that mama heart was breaking to give it back? Instead, she raised her hand. She told I worshipped it forward, 
and she just worshiped her way into wholeness. Open hands, open heart. And that's the way we have to be. So, I'm going to close. And I'm going to close with just again saying, um, I'm blown away by, I'm blown away by God's heart in this season for us, y'all. I can't even believe how he has woven together the messages that he has for this with no one knowing one thing to the next. And wait till you hear what the closing is. Wow, I'm going to just say. But, and Harriet talks about this um, space being a field house. I want to tell you, I felt like in this message, God was saying, it's my womb. We're not just a field house here. We are a womb. And we are being grown in him, matured in him, knit together in this secret place of intimacy. But now he's saying, will you partner with me? Will you partner with me with my purposes for this moment in history to be Hannah's and Anna's to birth what I need to birth in the earth? And I... And I can tell you, I feel that pressure. I feel that pulsing. It's not just that the times are dark and the labor pains of the world, which they are. But it's more than just that's bad. It really is that he's so good. He's saying, will you love me afresh? Will you capture, will you come away with me and capture my heart so that you want to carry my seed and bring it forth? You know, it's like the heartbeat of God. We can just feel it, you know. And I feel like that's the thin place, too, where we can hear the angels around the throne, that holy, 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 holy. And like the baby's heartbeat on the ultrasounds, that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. That's That's the season we're in. So as we, as we circle up today, and we have a few minutes to circle up, I want us just to um, get real. I loved last week when we just prayed. And it may be that um, God prompts you just to pray for an area you feel a new resolve toward, or just praying to partner with God for revival however he leads. If you'll just circle up and take the next... Yep, 10 or 12 minutes. And we'll um, come back together with uh, a word to close you with that honestly, I stood up in my sauna yesterday and screamed it out as I read it because it's just so, it's so amazing. So good. Okay, there you go. Amazing. All right. When you guys get it wrapped up, you can come back to your seat. Come back to your... So how many of you heard something today new? How many of you thought that was awesome? (laughs) Me too. So good. How many of you want a prophetic word? All right. So when you get back to your seat, stand up. You're, go- you're going to be standing a minute, but you're going to be fine because y'all can go sit down later, okay? Oh, no, I got this.
All right, I'm going to prophesy fast. We're going to keep it, Bailey, on the podcast. This is a prophetic word that was released April 2nd by Lana Bowser from Australia. I have followed her ministry. I know Susan has, I know many of us have for a few years now, um, maybe less than 10 years, more than five years. And um, this is an absolutely now word for women, the God's women in the earth. And it doesn't matter where you live or any of that. So I'm just going to read it over you, okay? So you just receive it. If there's any part of it that you feel like that is God's rhema revelatory word for me, I want you to go back on the podcast and listen to it and write it down. You know how to do that, right? Get your journal, stop it, pause it, write the next sentence, pause it. You know how to do that. So that you have it, you've listened to it, you've written it, right? And, and now you can see it with your eyes. And the more you can get your senses engaged in it, the more it will land and it will become you. It will become part of you. So here's what she said. I heard the Lord say, daughters of God, my fire is falling on multiple areas of your lives, bringing forth multiple births. Recently, I heard the Lord say this. And when the Lord spoke these words, I was taken back to encounters I have had with the Lord over the last few years where he has spoken the words multiple births for the new era. And as I asked the Lord what he he was meaning, this is what I heard him say. Many of my daughters have felt like over the last few seasons, there has been such a battle and warfare over what I have spoken would be birthed in them and through them that many have been left feeling that they have been in the place of a stillbirth. Many have felt like the birthing suddenly died and have been left in such a place of despair, hardship, and weariness. Many have been crying out for my spirit to come and revive them and bring them back to life. That time has arrived. I have walked with them in the valley, carried them through pain. I have, I have stored their tears and surrounded them with my comfort. I have been close. Now is the time for them to arise. My fire is not just falling upon their hearts to bring them back to life. My fire is falling on multiple areas of their life, bringing forth multiple births. Someone needs to hear that today. There's a deep stretching taking place in their lives for these multiple births. They are bigger than what you have anticipated. I am calling you to make room for the birth. Make room for the birthing that is now coming forth. Walk in my wisdom in who you allow in the delivery room with you. For my fire is falling upon you to see you step forth and arise in greater strength, healing, freedom, identity, and authority in me. But also my fire that is falling on multiple areas in your lives is bringing forth a birthing that is exponential. It is birthing something that is sacred. It is a birthing of moves of my spirit that you have not yet seen in your life. Guard it well with my wisdom. I'm shifting alliances. I am moving alignments. I am bringing together new tribes. Maintain the position of surrender and allow me to sift and shift that which needs to be sifted and shifted to bring forth the increase. There is great joy that is going to burst forth within you in this hour. The heaviness you have felt, you will no longer feel. The sadness you have carried, you will no longer carry. You will 
will feel life, my life flourishing, there's our word, with you in the fruit of peace, joy, strength, vitality, hope, and passion like never before. You are not drying up and withering. You are being positioned to thrive in me like never before. The move of my spirit across the earth now to position my daughters is unlike anything that has ever been seen before. The enemy has roared loudly over my daughters to steal their roar, and many felt in seasons past that they lost their voice and their roar. But I say to you, my fire is falling now, and your roar is not only being restored, but it will will be louder than before. My roar of love, of authority, of justice, of recompense, of restoration, of bringing forth of divine alignment, my roar of deliverance is resounding loudly over you. And with one roar, you will see me deal with it all. You will see me deal with all that you've been bringing before me, the heavy, heavy weights. The enemy has been screaming years. This will take years, but I say to you in one moment, in one roar of my deliverance, you will see my power bring you into freedom and reestablish you in strength and in healing. Can I not do it? Will I not do it? There is a rapid and radical deliverance now taking place. So position yourself in expectance and surrender for I am doing it and I am doing it swiftly. I am restoring health. I am bringing forth wholeness in your lives that is found in me. It is imperative that you are sitting at my feet like Mary, that you are prioritizing intimacy with me. It is a time to behold me like never before. My heart is declaring across the earth, make room for me. Make room for me. What did we just sing this morning? Make room. And we didn't even know that. We didn't know that. I had read this, but I was not even thinking of this when I chose that song this morning. Make room for me. As you make more and more room for me, you will see your health restored. Wholeness like you have never seen before. And as you sit at my feet, you will arise as a warrior. My heart is now thundering. Arise, arise, arise. And you are arising out of the ashes. You are arising in strength that is founded in your surrender in me. You are arising into a flourishing place of being the you that I actually created you to be without comparison, without shame, without heaviness, without hiding, but arising in strength in me that you are my friend. You know me deeply and I'm bringing you forth in this hour to partner with me in the greatest moves of my spirit that you have ever seen throughout all of your life. I then heard two words, Anger and failure being repeated over and over in the spirit. And I saw Jesus stepping in front of many daughters of God and he spoke. I know you have been angry. I know you've been deeply angry for many, many reasons. And you have labeled yourself as a failure and constantly failing. But today I'm dealing with this anger. I'm dealing with the lie that you have labeled yourself with. Then he looked deep into their eyes and he kept speaking one phrase over and over. I love you and I am so proud of you. I love you and I am so proud of you over and over again. And I knew every time he repeated that phrase, healing and deliverance were happening so deep, it was too deep for words. These daughters of God began to sob and sob as repentance flowed forth, as his kindness and love were bringing forth healing. 
A divine exchange is now happening. The anger is being surrendered. The anger was losing hold and the awakening of his love and pleasure is breaking forth and completely consuming them. The anger and failure and expectancy of failure has completely lost their hold and freedom is now resounding loudly. I saw Liberty Bells. This woman doesn't even live in America. I saw liberty bells ringing over them, and I knew that this was, a, was not only a divine moment of deep, deep healing and deliverance, but it symbolized a major shift of season. This was a life-changing moment. My, as my fire falls upon multiple areas in your life, you will begin to see the landscape of your life change. Suddenly from barrenness, it will shift to fruitfulness. Suddenly from chaos... It will shift to peace. And suddenly, from a lack of clarity and vision, uh, from a lack of vision to clarity, my insight, my vision into your life that extends further than you have seen, where you have felt contended for in the ground of the areas of your lives for years and years, you will now experience ease and the increase of anointing. I am raising up my daughters in this hour who are seeking me to walk with me in a divine strategy found from a deep place of intimacy with me like never before. As my fire is falling on your hearts and lives, I am increasing a hunger within you for me. And that is undignified cry of worship and praise that is going to be released through you. There is a radical abandonment being birthed where the groan is increased within you. I must have more. My heavenly declaration is shifting the season where you felt you had fought so hard to feel the fire alight and then burn. Now there will be so much fire that you won't be able to contain it. Mm. My fire will spread thick and fast and not only will you see multiple areas of your life suddenly burst, bursting with birthings, these multiple births, but you will also see my fire flow through you to transform the lives of those around you. So the encounter ended with a vision where I saw the fire of God falling on the daughters of God and there was such a sense of a sovereign move of God and his fire fell on those multiple areas of their lives and suddenly the wind of the Spirit blew. And all these multiple areas began to come together and join. As I watched, it became a net of fire. I heard the Lord say, watch the symphony and the synchronicity of my hand in this hour to supernaturally bring all the areas together in a divine flow that is forming a net for the harvest. All these areas will flow together and will bring in to form the net to bring in the harvest. Daughters of God, the season you are living in right now, this moment you are in right now, is a season of seeing an unprecedented move of my spirit. Look not at your circumstances. Lift up your eyes and know that this is your time to arise. Nothing has been lost time. Nothing has been wasted in me. I am restoring all. I am igniting you in your lives with my fire like you have never seen. The move of my spirit that you are in the midst of and will host is unprecedented. 
So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Lana Bowser. We ask that you would bless her, Lord, as she, I know, sat down to release this into the earth over the daughters of God. And we say here in the field house, we say yes and amen. We receive it in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing something unprecedented. And we want to be those that step out in faith and trust and lay hold of it, that we will find ourselves indeed in the new season, the new era, in the shifting of this season, God, and that we will, we won't be like those who are caught unaware, but we will know, here it is, here it is, I see what God's doing, I know what God's doing, He's been planning, He's been preparing me, He's been cultivating my heart, He's been cultivating my spirit woman to carry it, here it is, I see it as we step into it. So Lord, I pray a blessing over every woman that's under the sound of our voices today as we have ministered. I ask, Lord, that you would seal in the heavenly places what was released here today that we may never forget it. I ask, Lord, that you would um, cause our spirit women to be strengthened even as we go out into the world from this place today, God. Let us carry your kingdom with us. Let us carry little bits of your Holy Spirit with us to just set fires everywhere we go today. We thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us, God. You're so good to us. Let us never forget the goodness of our God. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask, Lord, that you bless Susan. Bless the women that are coming tonight, God. Even, even right now, be, be helping them make ways to get here, those that need to be here to hear it. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. And um, yeah, do pray for us tonight as we go in again. I love you guys.